good morning to everyone at home. Good morning to everyone online. I hope that you are doing well. My name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here at Addy Free. And apparently no one wants to hear me come talk anymore. Because the last two times it was my turn to speak, we had to cancel traditional services. Uh, once for the snowstorm, and then now for the virus. And I'm trying not to take it personally. Um, but I know it's not personal. I know we'd be overflowing, I'm sure, if you were able to come to the church. So I'm glad uh, to be here again with you this morning. Um, if you're a guest online with us, I'm so excited that you're here. I hope that you um, find our service to be uplifting and encouraging to you. And I want you to know if you are a guest, we'd love to connect with you. So if you would mention in the chat that you're a guest, Pastor Aaron, who's monitoring that, would love to connect with you. We'd love to uh, talk with you throughout the week sometime. If you're willing to say, hey, I'm a guest this morning. So we are in this series called Dangerous Prayers. And the reason these prayers are dangerous is because we believe that if you really pray these prayers and mean them, we think that God will begin to change you from the inside out and that you will become more like Jesus Christ. And that's a dangerous thing if you wanna stay who you are. And so we believe that God is doing this through this series. And so today, the prayer we have is God have mercy on me. Now, before you exit out, before you go to the little check mark, you're like, I'm done, I'm gonna go to Instagram or something else because I don't think I need God's mercy, please give me five minutes, five minutes to try and convince you that I think all of us need God's mercy. I need God's mercy and you need God's mercy. Would you please um, stick with me for five minutes? So pretend with me that the Bible is accurate. Pretend with whether if you disagree, I believe the Bible is accurate, I don't have to pretend. But if you think that this is not accurate, pretend with me for a minute that it is, and that the worldview it presents is accurate, and that God really is the creator, sustainer of everything. And as the creator, sustainer of all of it, he has the opportunity to be judge of all of his creation. And he's gonna hold us accountable for how we live. Now pretend that you get to the end of your life, and at the end of the li your life you pass away and you go stand before God, at the entrance to heaven, and God says, okay, I'm gonna talk to you about your life. And we're gonna talk about what the standard is for you to get in. He says, I'm gonna call three witnesses. These three witnesses are going to dictate whether you get in or not. And you begin to think, okay, is he gonna call like the three people that I was meanest to in my life? Or the three people I was nicest to? Or like a mixture? Like, what's he gonna do? And he says, for my first witness, I call, hey, Siri. And for my second witness, I call, okay, Google. And for my third witness, I call, Alexa. Now, I don't know if at your home I triggered any of your devices. My hope was when the room was full, I'd get a couple phones to go off and you would hear that they're listening. And they're always listening. They're listening for those phrases. And when they hear those phrases, they respond and say, what can I do for you? And you ask them to play music or to text somebody or do something like that, but they're always listening. So what if instead God said to those three devices, he said, I want you to tell me every single time this person said you should or you shouldn't. You must or you must not. You better or you better not. You have to or you can't. And he says, that's the standard I'm gonna hold you to. I'm gonna hold you to the standard you used with your own mouth to tell other people what they should do their entire life. And if that's the standard, I gotta be honest, I'm gonna be in trouble because I'm really good at telling people what they should do and then I'm really good at justifying why I shouldn't have to follow that at some certain point in time. So for instance, pretend with me that you said to someone, you better not be late to that meeting. And then 
after a series of events relate to that meeting. Or you better not cut that person off in traffic and then next week, I gotta make my exit. So I cut that person off in traffic. Or if you're a parent, you better not text and drive to your teen and then you're at the stoplight and this is a super serious text and I have to respond right now and then the light changes and I'm texting and driving. And so all I'm saying is if the standard was merely what we said with our lives, we'd be in trouble. But it's worse than that because the standard is not what I say with my life or what I say to other people. The standard is what God presents in the Bible. And God's standard is a much higher, much larger standard than my own. And so I need God's mercy and you need God's mercy. My belief is that every single one of us needs God's mercy and that's the first takeaway we have this morning. Before we even get to the prayer, we're getting to points. And that's that every single one of us And so I would plead with you this morning, would you not turn off the message? Would you not go on Instagram or some other device? Instead, would you put your devices to the side? Would you grab your Bible off the shelf and would you open it with me this morning? Because in this time right now, we desperately need to hear God's word, especially when it comes to this area of God have mercy on me. Because every single one of us needs God's mercy. Would you pray with me? Father God, God, I thank you for the opportunity for our church to gather. God, I thank you that despite whatever happens today and tomorrow, God, we can gather, even if it's not in a traditional form, but it's online. God, I thank you for that. And Lord, we ask that you would bless the reading and studying of your word. God, would you make it powerful in the lives of the people at home? God, would you make it powerful as they read it? Would you bring conviction into their heart in the places that we need to be repentant? We need to ask you for forgiveness. God, would you help us to turn to you for grace and mercy this morning? God, would you help me to be clear and concise? And God, would you do something powerful in the lives of your people in this moment in time? Pray this all in your son's name, amen. So we are gonna be in Psalm 51. So Psalms is in the middle of your Bible. If you open it to the middle, you probably will land in Psalms and you just gotta find 51. If you didn't land in Psalms, you might've landed in a book called Job, which looks like Job. You gotta go to the right and you'll find Psalms. If you landed in Proverbs or Song of Solomon or Isaiah or Jeremiah, you went too far to the right, go back to the left and you will find Psalms. So we're going for Psalm 51. And once you find it, you can just leave it open there for a minute because I wanna give you some background for this Psalm because this is a prayer slash poem that David wrote at a certain point in his life based on some circumstances that occurred. So I wanna tell you about those circumstances. So David is king of Israel. He is the most powerful man in the entire and all of Israel. And he should have gone off to war with his men and with his troops and with the Ark of the Covenant, but instead he stayed home. And one night he can't sleep, and so he's walking around the roof of his palace. And as he's walking around the roof of his palace, he looks down and he sees a woman bathing. Now at that point, he'd be like, okay, I'm going inside, I'm done. But instead, he calls over an attendant and he says, hey, who's that? And the attendant goes, that's Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. At that point, he should be, okay, I'm going inside, I'm done. I heard the word wife, we're out of here. But instead, he says to his attendant, no, I want you to get messengers and go and get her for me. So messengers go and get Bathsheba, and they bring her to the palace, to David's room, and David sleeps with her. He commits adultery. He sends her home, and he thinks that's the end of it. Then weeks go by, and Bathsheba becomes pregnant. And so she sends a message to David and says, David, I'm pregnant and the baby is yours. 
So David begins to go into cover-up mode. So he sends messengers to go get Uriah from the battle, and Uriah comes home, and he asks him some questions to not make Uriah think something's weird's happening. Then he says, Uriah, you know what you should do? You should go home and enjoy the comforts of home, if you know what I mean, Uriah. But Uriah doesn't go home. Uriah goes and sleeps where the servants sleep because Uriah is honorable. And the next morning, David asks his attendant, he says, did Uriah go home? He goes, no, he went and slept where the servants sleep. So he calls in Uriah. He says, Uriah, what are you doing? Why didn't you go home? You're home. Go sleep with your wife. Enjoy home. Sleep in your own bed. And Uriah says this to David in 2 Samuel eleven eleven. He says, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents. And my commander Joab and, the men, and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. So Uriah is too honorable. He says, I can't go home and enjoy the comforts of home when the people that I go to war with are at war, when my commanders are at war, when the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God here on earth is at war. I can't do that. Now this is a slap in the face to David because this is exactly what David has been doing. Well, David's not ready to give up. So he thinks, okay, if I get him intoxicated, if I get him drunk, then he'll go home. So he begins to give him lots of drinks and hopefully that will send him home. But still, Uriah is too honorable, and instead he goes back to where the servants sleep, and he sleeps on a mat on the ground. And David finds out about it, and so he says to himself, okay, we're not going to do this the easy way, we're going to do it the hard way. And he calls in Uriah and says, Uriah, I want you to deliver this letter to Joab, the commander of the army. And he gives the letter to Uriah, and Uriah carries it to Joab. And what Uriah doesn't know is the letter says, I do not want Uriah to come home. I want him to die in the war. And so what you're going to do is you're going to put him where the fighting is the fiercest and then you're going to withdraw the army so that he is killed. And Joab does what he's told and Uriah is killed. The battle ends. David decides he's going to marry Bathsheba and this is it. We're done. We're going to move on. And then Nathan the prophet enters the story. Nathan knows what David has done and he goes into the palace and he confronts David. And he says, David, I have a story I want to tell you. David goes, okay, I want to hear this story. He says, there was a rich man. And the rich man had many, many, many cattle and sheep. And there was a poor man. And this poor man had one little sheep. And the rich man had a visitor come from a far and distant land. And he decided, I'm not going to feed one of my sheep, one of my cattle to my visitor. And he went and he took the poor man's lamb. And he fed it to his visitor. And David gets outraged. And David goes, that man must die. And then Nathan points at David and says, you are the man. You took Bathsheba from Uriah and you murdered him. And David is broken in this moment. He's broken over what he does. And out of that moment, he writes Psalm 51. And this is what it says. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. 
Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your, your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous and burnt offerings offered whole. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. And so this is the poem. This is the prayer of David in response to what he's done as he cries out, God, have mercy on me. So what I want to do with the rest of our time is I want to look at a couple of key verses in this prayer and point what is it that we can learn from David as he cries out for mercy as we too need to cry out for mercy. So if you would join me in verse one, David says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. So here's what I love about David's request for mercy. He doesn't come to God and say, okay, God, I'm the king of Israel. You should give me some mercy. Or God, I am mostly a good person. You should give me some mercy. Or God, for the most of my life, I've been really righteous and good, and I have a couple of lapses of judgment in my past. Would you just kind of cover those up? Or God, you know, there's that guy named Goliath. I killed him for you, God. I trusted in you, and I killed him. Like, you should do this for me. That's not what he does. Instead, he goes and he appeals to God based on God's character. He says, God, would you have mercy on me according or because of your unfailing love? Because God, you are unfailing in your love. You are full of unfailing love. He says, according to your great compassion. He says, God, you are compassionate, you are kind, you are gracious, and because of that, God, would you show me mercy? that this is your very character. I'm saying, God, this is who you are. Would you show me mercy because of who you are? And so what I want us to see this morning is that God is full of unfailing love and compassion, that we too can seek mercy because God is full of unfailing love and compassion. We don't have to try and justify ourselves and say, well, God, I'm mostly a good person. Or God, I know that I made a mistake, but it's only one mistake. Can't you overlook my one mistake? Instead, we can go, God, would you forgive me because you are full of unfailing love and mercy. You are full of unfailing love and compassion. I don't deserve this. I haven't earned this. I can't earn it. But God, you are compassionate and kind and good. And because of that, God, would you please show me mercy? And that is the reason we can go to God for mercy this morning and the rest of our lives. And then David goes on in verses two through five. He says, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. God, I want you to remove this from me. I don't want this to be part of me anymore. He says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. He says, every time I see Bathsheba, every time I see Nathan, I'm reminded of what I did. I'm reminded of the evil that exists in me. God, would you, would you remove it? It says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is right, done what is evil in your sight. Done what is evil in your sight. 
This is against you and you only, God. That ultimately my sin is against you and it's against your character. God, would you forgive me? Because you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. That when you condemn me, when you say that I'm evil, God, you are right. Because I have sinned against you. And then he says, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. He says, this has been my entire life. That since I was in the womb, my heart has been bent towards what is wrong and what is evil. That if I had to fight against that, so God, would you help me? And maybe you hear that and go, well, that might be true of David, but I don't think that's true of me. Like, maybe David's heart has been bent towards evil his entire life, but my heart's not. Or maybe David's is, but most people's isn't. Now, here's what I invite you to think about for a moment. Like, think about if that's really true. Like, in your life and in my life, do I have to stop myself from doing too much good? Or do I have to stop myself from trying to do evil? That when I talk to myself and I'm saying, Jordan, you need to stop doing this thing, is it that I'm doing too much good? I'm like, whoa, we got to... Bring this back. You're getting carried away and doing good. Or am I seeing in myself signs of evil that I don't like there, and so I'm trying to move that needle, if you will, towards the good side? That if you think about your kids, if you are a parent that has kids, or if you are a sibling that has a brother or sister, think about them and go, okay, wait a minute. So my son, I love him to death. He's awesome. But there are times, especially when he was literal or more little than he is now, that he'd be doing something and I said to him, hey, you need to stop or I'm gonna take that toy from you. And he wouldn't stop. And so I would take the toy from him. And his response was not to say, thank you, Father. Thank you for discipling me and teaching me the way that I should go. That's not what he did. His response was, pow! Like, I'm gonna get that thing back. I'm gonna hit you, I'm gonna kick you, I will bite you even. Now here's the deal, I guarantee you, I have never bit him. Never once have I been like, he's stealing my food off my plate, I'm like, ah, never once. So I did not teach him to do that, that is in his heart and it naturally comes out of him when I push against him and do something he doesn't like. And that's naturally in my heart too. Like I'm not here to crush my son, I'm here to say that's my heart also. And that's what David is saying, he's saying my heart is bent towards evil and it's been bent that way since before I was out of my mother's womb. And so God, I desperately need your help. Would you have mercy on me, O oh God? Now the good news is that David's gonna turn to that and he's gonna say, God, would you show me this mercy? Would you deal with my heart? In verses nine through 12, he says, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then he says, would you create in me a pure heart? He says, I know my problem is my heart and my heart is bent towards evil. God, would you please, would you give me a new heart? Would you create in me a new heart that is bent towards good, that my natural response will be good instead of evil? My natural response will be selflessness instead of selfishness. My natural response will be to give instead to try and get. God, would you do this in me because I see this isn't a one-time mistake, but it's always been in my heart and I've been able to reduce it or fight against it in the past and I didn't in this moment. So God, would you give me a new heart? 
He says, would you not cast me from your presence? God, I know my sin. It separates me from you, and I don't want to be separated from you because you're my only hope. So would you please create in me a pure heart, and would you keep me in your presence? Then he says, would you give me a steadfast spirit and a willing spirit? God, that I know on my own, I'm going to fall back into sin. On my own, I'm going to fall back into these same traps, these same things my heart is bent towards. So would you give me a new spirit, God? And what we see from all of this, our third takeaway this morning is that true repentance is about wanting heart transformation. The true repentance is that I want my heart to be different. Not God, can you just make some things in my past go away? That David isn't here saying, okay, I want to still be the same David I am now, but I just want you to forget the things that I did wrong so that you will like accept me. No, this is a man who's crying out saying, my heart is evil and I hate it. I hate the sin that exists here. God, would you deal with it? And God, I know that I am insufficient on my own to mess with it and to deal with it and to remove it. So would you have mercy on me, oh God? Would you have mercy on me and change my heart? And so this is true repentance. It's not saying, hey, would you just make it go away? And as a parent, if you're a parent, or again, if you're a sibling that has had a, a sibling apologize to you, you know this. There's times as a parent where you have your kid, they do something wrong, and you say, you have to apologize. And they go, I'm not gonna apologize. So then you grab them by the arm, and you lead them in there, and you say, you're gonna say you're sorry. And they go, I'm sorry. And like, that's not true repentance. And so you say, you gotta say it like you mean it. You go, I'm sorry. And everybody knows, the person that's getting apologized to, they know they're not sorry, and everybody knows they're not sorry. They know that's not real repentance. And so God's not here today, and I'm not here to drag you in and say, you need to say you're sorry. My hope and my prayer as we read these verses that God will will reach into your heart and will say, there is stuff here that you need to deal with. There is stuff here that you need to see and you need to hate and you need to change by my grace and my power in you. If you would cry out, God have mercy on me. Because there are other times as parents where your kids have come to you and they've come to you with tears in their eyes and they're broken and they say, I don't like this thing about me, mom or dad. Would you help me? Would you pray for me? I don't want to be this way anymore. And you go in that moment, this is real repentance. This isn't me dragging you in. This is you crying out for help. And so my hope and my prayer this morning is that God is doing something in your heart. And so what I want to do right now is give you a tool Because this Dangerous Prayers series is all about increasing our ability to pray and our tools for prayer. And so one of the tools that we have for prayer is called praying through Bible verses or praying through scripture. And all we do is we take a Bible verse or a chunk of verses and we turn them into a prayer. Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it takes a little more creativity. Um, But thankfully, David has given us a very easy um, prayer to pray. So we're just going to take verses 9 through 12, and we're going to turn them into a prayer. And so what we do is we start by saying, Father God, would you hide your face from my sins? And then you can list your sins right there, that if you know it's selfishness, or if it's envy, or if it's bitterness, or if it's lust, or whatever it is, you list it right there, and you say, God, would you hide your face from this? Would you blot out all my iniquity? God, would you create in me a pure heart that doesn't want to do this anymore, that doesn't want to be selfish, that doesn't want to be envious anymore? God, would you create in me a pure heart, oh God? And would you renew a steadfast spirit within me that God is steadfast to you, that on my own I can't do this, but God, would you do this for me? 
God, would you please do not cast me from your presence or take away your Holy Spirit from me. God, I want to remain in your presence. God, would you restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. God, I just don't want to do this because it's right. I want to do it because it's the desire of my heart to not be envious. And so we just turn it into this prayer and then we end with amen. So what I would encourage you is to highlight these verses because there are times in your life where you feel repentance, you feel brokenness, and sorry doesn't feel good enough. That you can say, I'm sorry, God, but that doesn't feel like it's enough. And I encourage you to come to these verses and turn this into your prayer. There'll be times in your life group where there are people who are broken over their sin and they feel like sorry is not enough and you can take, this to them, take them to these verses and you can pray this for them. So you can put their name in these verses and I'm gonna do it with mine just to give you an example. So if someone was praying for this for me, they would say, Father God, would you hide your face from Jordan's sins? And they can list whatever it was I was broken about and blot out all of his iniquity. Would you create in him a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within him? Do not cast him from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from him. Restore to him the joy of your salvation and grant him a willing spirit to sustain him. Amen. That this is powerful ways to pray. And some of you are like, I don't know what to pray. And so we can pray scripture. We can let Bible verses become our prayers and be our guides. And so again, true repentance is about wanting heart transformation. It's not just I want these things in my past to go away. It's that I want my heart to be different. And that's what we see in David. In verse 17, he says, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. God, I, I know that when I am broken over my sin, you won't despise me, you won't reject me, but instead, you will receive me. So what I want to do for a moment here is I want to press pause. Like, don't please literally press pause, but we're just going to press pause for a moment. And I'm going to step to the side. We're going to have a sidebar, if you will. Because right now, we're going through a lot of suffering as a nation. And some of us, it's more suffering than other people. But we're at this point, at really worldwide suffering. And in suffering, it's this incredible opportunity for Repentance. Suffering is this point where God really gets our attention and grab, God grabs a hold of us and sometimes God uses those things to shine a light in different parts of our lives and different parts of our heart that we haven't dealt with or we didn't even know was there. So C.S. Lewis has this famous quote where he says, pain or suffering insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And God is certainly rousing a deaf world right now. That there are many people that didn't want anything to do with God a few weeks ago that now are very interested in who this Jesus is us to we follow. That they, they want to know a little bit more about him. And God is rousing a deaf world. And you may be thinking right now, well, Jordan, like I really wanted some comfort. I wanted some help. I don't really want you to say you needed to repent. And repentance, I want you to know, brings relief. That some of you have been wrestling and struggling and fighting with God for weeks or months or years, and you're exhausted. And I want you to know that if you would give up the fight and you just repent and say, God, I am broken and I am tired and I need you, 
that there will be relief. And I really want, I want to really quickly tell you a story of God doing this in my life. Because God has used suffering in my life as an opportunity to show me places that I needed to repent. And so many of you, but not all of you, know that my dad, um, six years ago, we found out he had cancer. And then five years ago, he passed away. And during that time, uh, God used it to reveal to me parts of my life where I thought I was following God, but I wasn't. That if you had asked me, Jordan, do you love God? Do you follow God? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I do it because he's the greatest good. He's the ultimate reward. But in reality, the reason I was following God is because I thought if I followed God, God would keep cancer and things like that from my family. And so I was using God to get what I wanted. I was saying, God, I will follow you and I will love you and I will pray to you and do these things for you if you do this thing for me. And I didn't realize that until my dad got cancer and I started to suffer and I started to get mad at God and go, God, why are you doing this? God, I I thought we had a deal here. And in the midst of that, I realized I had begun to use God and I had begun to say, God, I will do this thing if you do this thing. And that's no way to worship God. That God is the ultimate good. He's the ultimate reward. We worship God because he is worthy of worship, because he is amazing and he desires to be in a relationship with us. And so as God revealed that in my heart through suffering, I had to repent And so I could put that in verses 9 through 12. I could say, God, would you hide your face from my my sins, from my desire to use you, God? My desire to manipulate you, to try and get you to do something for me with my good behavior. God, would you blot blot out all my iniquity? Would you create in me, God, a pure heart that just wants to follow you because you're the ultimate good? God, would you renew a steadfast spirit within me? Because without your spirit, God, I will wander back in trying to use you and manipulate you. And so, God, would you help me? God, please do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me because I desperately need you, God, even though that's what I deserve. Because I've manipulated you and used you, God, would you please not do this, though, because you are gracious and merciful? God, would you restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me, Lord, because I want to love you and worship you and follow you because you're the ultimate good. So God, would you help me? Would you forgive me? God, would you have mercy on me? So then we're gonna unpause. We're gonna talk about what happens with David because David receives God's mercy. Now, there are consequences for what David has done, but he receives God's mercy and God doesn't hold it against him. And that might infuriate some of you. There might be some of you on your couch right now that are fuming and going, are you serious? Like, come on. This guy murders somebody. He commits adultery. He covers it all up. And then he writes a poem. He writes a poem and God's like, we're good. Are you serious? Where is the justice? I thought God was just. A guy writes a poem and that's enough to get him off for murder? Come on. There's a lot more going into it than that. Because God is gonna send his only son to take David's place. God is gonna show us mercy and God can show us mercy and God will show us mercy because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That God is gonna send Jesus to make an exchange with us, to take all of our sin for those who trust him and believe unto him, and he's gonna give us all of his righteousness. 
2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So what happens is on the cross, all of David's sin is exchanged for all of Jesus' righteousness. And they get swapped. And so on the cross, God pours all the wrath and the judgment and the punishment out on Jesus for all of David's adultery, for all of his murder, for his conspiracy, all this stuff. He pours it out. So the wrath that you feel right now and the injustice you feel is nothing compared to what God feels. And he pours that onto Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, I am willing to take it because of David's trust and belief in you, God. Because David's in the past, and so God counts his trust and his faith in God is righteousness. Now, Jesus is behind us, and so we can put our trust and faith in Jesus, and that exchange happens. So all the people that might point at me and say, how is it just that you would forgive Jordan for all the things he's done to me? Jesus stands in front and he says, you can have your pound of flesh from me. You can have your vengeance from me, and I will take the punishment that Jordan earned with his life. I will take the punishment that Jordan earned with all the mean and hurtful and despicable things that he's done, I will take the punishment unto myself and the wrath will get poured out every single drop. There is not an ounce that will not be reserved. All of it will be poured out on Jesus Christ and justice will be served. So Uriah and Bathsheba get justice and David gets mercy because of Jesus. And all the people that I've wronged with my life, they will get justice and I will get mercy because of Jesus, because of this great exchange. And so we can come to God with great confidence knowing that he will show us mercy, knowing that he will show us kindness because of Jesus. Because God's only son was willing to take our place. He was willing to stand up and say, you can take it from me when we put our trust and faith in him. And so here is our response. Here's what I'm asking of you this morning. Is first, if you've never asked God for mercy, if you've lived a life where you thought, well, when I get out of college, or when I get out of high school, or when I have a family, or when I have kids, or when I retire, or right before I die, I'm gonna do this, knock it off. Like, would you be done with that? And instead, would you be broken over your sin? And would you come to him and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner? God, would you have mercy on me this morning according to your steadfast love, according to your great compassion, would you have mercy on me? And if you are that person who is crying out for mercy this morning for the first time, would you let Pastor Aaron know in the chat? Would you let him know that you're doing this? Would you send a message to our church so that we can know because we want to help you grow to become more like Christ. We want to help you become a fully committed disciple, not just someone who prays a prayer in a moment, but someone who has a new life that is transformed and changed because they get plugged into community. And so would you take that next step to reach out to someone and say, hey, I did this this morning. The second thing, the second takeaway, the second response is Sunday to every day. So we have this new initiative or we have this not new initiative. We've been working on it for a while called Sunday to every day where we're trying to move our faith from Sunday morning to every single day and every area of our life. And so you have family members, you have neighbors and coworkers and people that are around you that you probably owe an apology to. Someone that maybe you've been fighting with about a fence 
you're fighting with about where you park your car, where they park their car, about their leaves in your yard, or their dog in your yard, or their kids in your yard, or whatever it might be. That we tend to have these arguments and disagreements with neighbors. What if you walked over and knocked on their door and then stood back six feet? And then you said, I'm sorry for what I've been arguing with you about this thing or that thing. And they may not forgive you. They may be like, I don't care, and shut the door. But here's the thing. Whether it's a coworker, whether it's a neighbor, I believe that it's gonna eat at them. They're gonna go, who is this guy asking me for forgiveness? Nobody, nobody has ever asked me for forgiveness after I was like 10 and their mom made them do it. Like, who is this person? And it's gonna eat away at them. And someday they're gonna come knock on your door and go, okay, what's the deal? Like, what's your angle? What's, what's going on here? Are you trying to convince me to let this fence thing go? Like, what's the deal? And you're gonna tell them, God had a ton of things that I did to him and he forgave me and I just knew that there's some things I did to you that I wanted to ask you to forgive me of too. And so I just want you to forgive me. And it's, it could be an opportunity for you to share the gospel with him. The third thing, the third response is just a call to repentance. That is to go, God, would you search my heart? Would you search my heart in this moment where there's a lot of things that are being exposed as our lives are being changed and I'm beginning to realize that there were things that were normal patterns in my life that maybe shouldn't have been a normal pattern. There are things in my life that I just took for granted that are gone or that are different and now I'm angry and I'm frustrated and I'm thinking you should have not let this happen, God. God, would you forgive me? That would you just invite God in to deal with those areas and to reveal those areas and then would you go to verses nine through 12 and would you just practice that tool of praying through scripture, praying through those Bible verses? Would you pray with me? Father God, would you have mercy on us, Lord? Lord, we, your people, need your mercy. God, it's not just a one-time thing, but it is a regular thing, God, a daily, we need daily mercies, and God, you are, are gracious and good to give us new mercies every day. And Lord, I pray and I ask that you would convict where there needs to be conviction. God, for those husbands that need to apologize to wives or wives to husbands or parents to kids, that right now, Lord, they're sitting in the same living room, would you please let them enter into a time of repentance and forgiveness and praying for one another. They might be families that pray these verses over each other in this moment, that they wouldn't have done it in this auditorium, but in your grace and your goodness and your wisdom, you have them in their living room right now. God, would you have these moments all over our city, all over this area, God, of repentance occurring, of people receiving your mercy because they cried out, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And so we ask for your grace and your mercy. We ask for your help. Pray this all in your son's name. Amen.